This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Latarski, joined today by John Littering. If you're out there on Twitter, please give John a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we're going to be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 262 Oliveira versus Chandler. A couple of quick housekeeping items. Our sports betting section on Rotowire gets better every day. We can show you all the odds. I think we rival any other site out there, including some of the odds we'll talk about today, such as first round finish props and and uh, you know win by knockout, win by submission props. So that that all that knowledge applies to DFS. So we've got you covered there. And of course, Fight IQ is going to be coming at you this Friday night at eight p.m. Eastern. Sean, Chris, and special guest AJ. You may have read them on the site before. Those guys are going to be breaking down UFC two sixty on Friday night on the YouTube channel. But for now, you've got John and I. We're going to take a quick look at the main cards, some of the bigger fights, You know, maybe dive into a couple of the undercards that might be DFS applicable. But we'll try to get you going here, John. A lot's been happening since the last time we got together to talk about a fight card. I mean, Usman Rose, that was an amazing call by you. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko, that worked out pretty good. Um, some news with this card. Of course, we lost uh, Diaz and Edwards. That's getting pushed back. And then, of course, we had a card last weekend, kind of a makeshift main event situation where, you know, Rodriguez, Rodriguez, got to do the anic pronunciation. Uh, Rodriguez got the win over the Karate Hadi. And then, of course, Cowboy, who, you know, looking like it may be the end of the road pretty soon for him uh, with that late notice replacement. So any takeaways from that card or uh, or the other recent string of fights we've got to see? I mean, the cowboy thing is tough. We see this a lot. And it's strange because Dana White is usually pretty good if they see somebody who is clearly. Now, there have been exceptions in the past. I mean, he was going to run Diego Sanchez out here against Cerrone, and we all know how that's been going. But if there's somebody who is clearly past their prime and inferior and not like Don Cerrone's in the title picture anymore, he's usually fairly good about ushering them out um, mm-hmm. with some swiftness. And it's just really hard to watch Cowboy because Alex Morono, and I'm not taking anything away from him, he's a good fighter, he's a very good stand-up fighter, and he was really good the other day. But you're watching that fight, and you just can't help but think how 
prime cowboy and not even prime i'm you know prime cowboys probably 70 years ago you know i'm talking even two years ago maybe probably would have just ate morono up he would have pushed forward legs kicks mm-hmm. uh, morono wouldn't have been able to land like he was you know the pressure wouldn't have been there and it's just hard i mean and cowboy says he doesn't feel like he's done you know he thinks he has a lot left to give but then he was smart enough to acknowledge that obviously the results don't say that, which they don't. I mean, his performances in the octagon don't reflect that. His performances look like he's done. So I don't know. Maybe it's just an instance where, um, you know, he's so popular. Maybe next time out they'll market like one of those retirement fights. You know, put retirement in quotes because next time, you know, Bellator. You could argue that you know the Diego Sanchez matchup. You know, you have two guys that are kind of nearing the end of the road here, fighting a weight class up from what they're used to. You know, you could argue that that would have been a good retirement fight. But of course, you have the whole Sanchez saga, yeah. which is another conversation entirely. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely dominated some headlines this week. But it's uh, just it's a bad it's a bad situation. All the way around and mm-hmm. um it's on a, it, we're at the point where you kind of got to take this on a case-by-case basis some guys seem to know and will walk you know some guys like sanchez is probably a, even a more prime example than cowboy they just won't and you know i don't want to use the phrase dying the octagon you know but you know they're willing to go out on their sword and yep. it's just it's a bad situation mm-hmm. yeah all around i mean and then you see guys getting you know comebacks that have been away so long and it just happens so much in the sport and i can understand giving cowboy so much leeway because it's always you know you're looking to get hurt i know a guy he was always coming in weeks notice days notice any day anytime anyone he was there you know to save cards or save fights and uh you know obviously dana respects the heck out of that and uh yeah, it's just a tough, tough situation to deal with. We'll see how th- if they can kind of finesse their way out of this moving forward, give them a manageable opponent for the end. But hey, we got some fights at UFC 262. We got to talk about guys in their prime fighting for belts. Uh, some crazy stuff uh, here, John. Might as well kick it off with the main event: Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler. Oliveira 8700, Chandler comeback uh, 7500 on DraftKings. The Vegas odds here whole lot tighter than those. Uh, DraftKings salaries indicate, and that's because really that's kind of the theme of this whole card here that we've got is there are a ton of close fights. I put up our staff picks article early uh, this week, and um, and there were zero unanimous selections out of out of the five fights we pick, and that's that's pretty rare. Usually there's one or two that you know we can all agree on, we can all get on board, but this is not that kind of card here. And the money lines, you know. Depending on your book, you're going to see Oliveira anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140, kind of coming in and on that top end with the comeback on Chandler, about plus 110. Vegas does like this fight to finish, minus 310 odds to finish here. Uh, so that's a good news for DFS players, also given this will be the only five-round fight on the card here. It's a shame we can't have the co-main event be five rounds as well. But let's focus on the main event, John. Who you got and, and how's it playing out? So, like you mentioned, real. I'll just make this, say this quick before we get going. Um, every fight on this card is close, essentially. I think I looked before. I believe um, the greatest odds you'll find is about minus two forty ish, somewhere around there. And, and that's, that's uh, Gina Mazzani, right? 
That's uh, G- uh oh, Christos Diagos oh, against yep. Sori- the the late ad on yeah, Soriano. Yeah, the late replacement. Yeah. yeah. Prior to that, <laughs> yes, Gina Mazzani was the biggest favorite on this card. Yeah, it, minus two ten. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere around there, minus two ten, minus two fifteen. And if boy, if you told me we're in a world where Gina Mazzani is the biggest favorite on a UFC card, I wouldn't have believed you. But um, so essentially, what that means is, if DraftKings is going to hold the contest, which they always do, um, the salaries have to be you know, obviously different or nobody would be able to construct the lineup. So what you're going to get on this card is you're going to get a bunch of Vegas odds that are close. And thus you're going to get a bunch of DraftKings salaries that are not close. Um, This is the first example. We're going to talk about a few of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, Oliver is $1,200 more than Chandler. Um, This is a very good fight. Um, I think it's important to kind of reset the expectations to the lightweight division. Um, Her beating Magomedov's retired. Um, I don't think anybody I know, nobody in this division is going is Habib. You know, no one should be put on that pedestal. Um, no one's going to hold the belt through however many title defenses Habib had. Um, but you got two guys who are really good. Charles Oliveira has been in the UFC for almost 11 years, which is crazy because he's not going to be 32 till October. Um, he's been in there with just to name a few: Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens. Cub Swanson, Cowboy, back when Cowboy was Cowboy, uh, Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, Paul Felder, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson. It goes on and on. Um, Oliveira's won eight fights in a row. Seven of those eight have come via stoppage. Um, Oliveira is one of, if not the best submission specialist in the sport today. But this run he's gone on has directly coincided with his improvement in his striking game. He was a poor striker early in his career, which is understandable because he's so good on the mat that he never would be able to come close to touching his mat skills. There's going to be a a gap between the two. It's kind of similar to what Henry Cejudo went through earlier in his career, where Cejudo's wrestling was so good that we always said if he could just get his striking to even average – He'd be such a threat in two areas that he'd have a chance to be a champion. He obviously ended up being a champion in multiple divisions. Um, Oliveira has now established himself as, with Habib gone, he's arguably the best lightweight in the world at this point. Um, I'm big. I've always been a big Oliveira believer. Um, with his improved striking, this run he's been on lately appears to be entirely sustainable to me because he's one of if not the best match specialist in the sport and then you got add in the striking um he's taking on an opponent michael chandler who is ufc run we mentioned all i just mentioned all the guys that Oliveira's fought in the ufc michael chandler's been in the ufc for two and a half minutes on the nose um made his debut in january fought dan hooker in a fight i picked hooker i was dead wrong Chandler walked in and torched him. The main concern about Chandler upon his arrival in the company was he developed a reputation in Bellator as an elite fighter, but he never really fought anyone good on a consistent basis. People thought he was beating up lesser competition. Then he went in and fought Hooker and absolutely crushed him. And we've seen Dan Hooker take some beatings, as in like Dan Hooker is one of the toughest men on the planet, Mm -hmm. and Chandler absolutely crushed him. And that's funny because Michael Chandler, while he's known for his power, is more known as like a wrestling and pace guy. But he blew by Hooker like it was nothing. I was extremely impressed by that. So that takes us to who do I think is going to win this fight? I've come this far on Oliveira that I'm going to ride with him till the end. He's my pick. 
Um, I think it'd be a good idea for Chandler to try and wrestle. Oliver's takedown defense is 57%, which is pretty lousy. But then Chandler's going to run into the problem of you don't ever want to go with a, roll around with Oliver on the mat. It's a bad idea. It's an especially worse idea given the fact Chandler's given up two inches in height and three inches in reach. Um, so I'm going to go with Oliveira, but then it's, this brings us back to the point we mentioned before we started here. Oliveira looks overpriced from a DraftKings perspective because there's no way, at least as far as talent level between the two, that there's a $1,200 gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chandler is the much more desirable DraftKings play because you're never going to find a guy like that who you think has such a, ch- a reasonable chance to win, which I do. I certainly wouldn't be shocked if he won for 7,500. And this is one of those fights where I certainly advise getting a piece of both men. And it's not that I, th- I, the DraftKings salaries are reflective of, you know, they have to do this in order to have a contest. And if every single fight on the card is close or fairly close in terms of Vegas odds, this is what they're going to have to do in order to have a contest. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is a close one. I probably advise getting a piece of both men. If I had to put an odds value as far as who I thought was going to win, I'd probably have it, I don't know, 55-45 Oliveira, which essentially is pretty much what you're looking at in the odds, minus 130 plus 110. That's about right. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And you made some great points there. I would 100% agree that this is a fight that to get you need to get both fights both sides of MMA, as you all know, if you're listening here, it's a, it's a mass multi-entry sports. You definitely want some of each. I think I'm going to be a little heavier on Oliveira here for a couple of reasons. One, there just aren't that many pay-up options. So normally, you know, if you see a guy at minus 130, minus 140 for 8,700, you think, man, that's really risky. But because of the status of the car, there just aren't that many pay-up options. Normally, he'd probably be around 8,400, 8,300, and it'd be a lot easier to stomach. Not this time around here, but you can fit him in your lineups because, you know, are you going to use Gina Mazzani as your pay-up option? Probably not. You'd rather take the five-round fighter here and, uh, you know, win by knockout. Michael Chandler actually has the second-best prop on the entire card. Win by submission. No surprises there. Oliveira has the best prop on the entire card. And, you know, I'm pulling all these numbers from the Rotowire Sports betting page. Completely free to check it out. You can click on any column to sort it here. Um, round one finish. Uh, Oliveira has the best odds uh, on the entire card by a hair. We'll talk about this guy at the end. But Chandler has top five odds too here so for that reason a stack's not really in play but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get Oliveira, and i'm gonna have more Oliveira than chandler um but like you said both sides the biggest reason i'm saying that i'm that i'm heavy on Oliveira, and he was the closest we actually had to a unanimous selection in the staff picks is that chandler's biggest strength is his wrestling you know like you mentioned wrestling pace control fights you know if his hands aren't necessarily doing it he's going to try to wrestle you get on top of you control the rounds gain mat control that's very helpful for the DraftKings scoring i like that but the problem is is you don't want to go to the ground voluntary voluntarily against Oliveira. if chandler shoots i have to imagine Oliveira will invite him into his guard where he'll start throwing up triangles and doing all those kinds of jujitsu things uh that have that he's got success from in the past here and chandler you know i saw some of dc's comments chandler's got those hips and that wrestling base that's going to make it hard for Oliveira to do his thing i don't know if i'm buying that i think that's just a wrestling guy defending another wrestling guy here i do not think it would be wise to go to the ground with Oliveira, and if that's what chandler wants to do um 
I, I'm not sure it's going to end well for him. So for that reason, could Chandler clock him one? Yeah, I would say his stand-up's maybe a little bit better despite the improvements that Oliveira made. Could Chandler get the knockout if he keeps it on his feet? You know, maybe he decides to stay on the feet and uses wrestling more defensively to help uh, defend any kind of attempts from Oliveira to get this to the ground. But Oliveira, you know, he can kind of hang with him there. I think that would be wise, but will Chandler do that? I don't really know what his game plan's going to be. So for that reason, you take one fighter's biggest strength and it doesn't match up with the other fighter's biggest strength. So for me, it's an Oliveira pick. Didn't have to think too hard about this. Would I be shocked if he lost, though? Not necessarily. No, yeah, no, it's close for me. I'm in a similar mindset. Um, and I think there's still going to be people who, as good as Michael Chandler looked against Dan Hooker, I think there's still going to be people who say it's one fight. You know, mm-hmm. he came to the UFC. I want to see more against top flight competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough here. And, and the, winner here, or the winner here presumably would defend against, well, the, the the McGregor Poirier winner that fight's booked for July, so UFC's kind of got their steps planned out here. Um, we'll see that'll that'll be a banger as well. So a uh, lot going on in the lightweight division here. Uh, we can move on to the co-main event though. Tony Ferguson, uh, Benil Dariush. Uh, Dariush very deserving of this opportunity, and he is the betting favorite of minus 165. Combat on Ferguson is plus 145. Never really thought I'd see that even in 2021, but here we are. Dariush is 8,600 on DraftKings. Um, Ferguson is 7,600, which, you know, again, you look at the odds and the salaries side by side here. Dariush is a favorite, you know, 20, 25 points more than Oliveira, but his salary is $100 cheaper. So you're going to have some interesting math going when you're putting together these lineups here. Odds to finish, plus 130. Vegas does like this to go to, go to a decision, but they could easily see you know something stepping there and uh, and uh, you know changing that potential outcome here. I guess looking at this fight, John, you know what are the key factors for both guys and, and what would Darius have to do to cash in as the favorite? You know, it's crazy, but if you would have told me even, God, 12 months ago that Benil Darius should be a minus 165 favorite against Tony Ferguson. I never would have believed you, but it's fallen apart on Tony really, really quick. Um, back-to-back losses to Justin Gaethje and Oliveira, who we just spoke about, and not just losses, but lopsided losses. I mean, Tony looked bad in both of those fights, really bad. Um, and those two setbacks were coming on a string of, on the the heels of a dozen wins in a row. I mean, this is a guy who went from October 2013 to June 2019 without a loss. And then, you know, as we've, we've spoken about on here, we talked about all the time that the scheduled fight with Habib fell apart. What was it? Three, four, five times, whatever it was. They were always due to fight. It never happened. Tony never got the fight against Habib. And now, I mean, he's essentially in, like, must-win territory. The lightweight division is so deep that if Tony doesn't win on Saturday, it's pretty much curtains. Because this is a guy who turned 37 years old this past February. He's not a kid. Um, he's – I've said in here on this – in this uh, platform, he's gotten better as he aged, as he's aged, and he definitely has. But everything that's made Tony successful – his toughness, his creativity, it's been gone the last two fights. Absolutely gone. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what Anthony Pettis went through um, when he went from you know one of the top guys in the company to you know kind of a gatekeeper. 
it just looks like he's hesitant to do anything. He's slow. He's not reacting with any fluidity. He just looks like he's overthinking inside the octagon, and it's a bad, bad combination. And he's going up against a guy in Benil Dariush who has been one of the more underrated fighters in the company for years. Yeah, you've been um, on this guy a while. I'll give you that. He's very, good, very, very good. Um, six straight wins dating back to November 2018. The thing about Dariush is he's not particularly popular with casual fans because his style is kind of sleepy. You know, he's not a high octane fighter. He doesn't push the pedal to the metal, although he has improved his output early in fights. He had a couple fights in his career where the activity level early on was not good, and it ended up costing him. He's gotten a little better with that as far as starting quicker. He's also deceptively strong and has really underrated power. Like, if you leave an opening, he'll clock you, and you'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got four stoppages in his last five fights, or you know, during the six-fight winning streak here. So he, he does have you know fight-stopping power both on the feet and in the submission area. Yeah, he's very he's a good all-around fighter, King's MMA guy. He's really good. So pretty much on the surface, at least, this looks like a fight that prime Tony Ferguson would be able to excel in because Dariush doesn't have terrific movement. Tony's definitely the better athlete, but I really just considering what we've seen from Tony, his last couple of fights, I don't see how you can pick him against anyone good, let alone great until you see some sort of improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw this fight announced as crazy as it sounds, I immediately went with Dariush. That was my gut reaction. And the more I dug, I didn't see anything that changed my mind. Maybe we'll see the old Tony. If you see the old Tony, he's going to prove me wrong, and I'm going to look like a fool. But I, I just I don't think you can go back to him until you see something else. <laughs> of course, the salary's cheap, though. If you are a believer that, well, look, he's fighting a guy, a former you know interim champion, Gaethje, and you know a guy who's going to fight for the undisputed title on this card. If you think it's just a matter of Tony finding his way. You know, you're never going to find Tony Ferguson again for seventy six hundred dollars. So, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a tough one because at seventy six hundred and you look at, you know, Tony Ferguson has more name recognition than the main event or anybody else on this card. Arguably, he is the most popular name, especially when we throw the Edwards Nate Diaz fight off of here. Um, So if you're in the game of trying to project ownership and trying to gain leverage, then you probably do look at Dariush for tournaments because his, I would almost guarantee that Ferguson's, you know, ownership level is going to be right up, right up above, or at least in the, in the ballpark of Dariush here. Um, but that being said, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to bite on this trap and I don't quite think Ferguson's washed up enough. Um, Dariush, you know, now I don't want to discredit the guy because he's a great fighter. I agree with most of what you said there. His six fight winning streak, not super impressive here. I don't know if you're, you're how you know how much you're, uh, you're you've seen him through this, but Diego Fajardo that was a split decision, but also not a good. The card that had it the other way wasn't great. Scott Holtzman, Drakkar Close, Frank Camacho, Drew Dober, Tiago Moises. That's his six fight winning streak, and yeah, I deserve. I agree that it deserves to get him in that spot. But before then, you know, he had a rough patch as well. Knocked out in the first round by Alexander Hernandez, fought Evan Dunham to a majority draw, and also got knocked out with a knee in the second round by Edson Barbosa. So 
I wouldn't say Dariush is chinny by any means, but he can be got. And, uh, you know, if we get any shades of the old Ferguson that was there, I, I think we can get him. And, I, I, you know, this this troubles me so much because I know everyone's going to be on Ferguson. Every casual player that's, you know, that's putting only a couple bullets in the mini max or however you want to put that is going gonna, is gonna to want Ferguson because they're seeing a name they know and they see a cheap price. And I don't know if I'm just hanging on to my image of what I thought Ferguson was but i'm not quite ready to count him out you know the loss against Oliveira, he didn't look good but i'm going to attribute that just as much to um to Oliveira's improvements as i am to tony ferguson's decline so and i'm obviously i'm picking Oliveira in the main event here so that says something the loss to gaethje that was a little bit weird you know during the pandemic he was supposed to fight a month before he made weight a month before which was kind of kooky but you know he, he did it anyway and then uh and then of course he, uh, you know, he loses to Gates. You had an excellent game plan here. So I'm writing off his losses maybe a little bit too much, and maybe I'm clinging to the nostalgia of is this is this the Ferguson, you know, that we're, that we're used to having, th- that I have in my mind. Maybe it's not there, but I'm going to go ahead and pick him in this one. Uh, you know what? I think you're going to – I don't think it's going to be particularly close either way because if Tony does have something left in the tank – he has the skill set that should really give Darren a bunch of trouble. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, and if the guy we saw against Oliver and Gaethje is the guy we're going to get moving forward, Dariush is plenty good enough to make him look foolish mm-hmm. in a row. So I think you're going to get a fairly – if, say, this fight does go the distance, I think you're going to get a pretty clear decision one way or the other. It's just which of that you believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I have a hard time – I mean, Dariush, there's a leverage angle for sure. There are only 11 fights right now on this card as of record time. So, you know, you, I guess you got you to gotta make your picks and take your stance somewhere. Um Ferguson's really hard to get out of there, even at the age of 37. I know Gaethje did it in the fifth round. This is only a three-round fight here. I, I don't see really any way that uh, that Ferguson gets put out, in, you know, in this fight. So, um, so with that in mind, you know, I think he can somehow find a way to get it done against the guy in Dariush, who's hot. You know, not quite fighting the elite guys that Ferguson has been fought. You know, strength of record's important to me too. Um, so I take that into account, but yeah, this is one that's been that's very disputed on the staff picks. If you go look at them, people are both ways, you know, and it, it, it comes down to what you said, John. You know, what do we have of Ferguson that's left? But you know, we can hit that point so much, but we can kind of move on here as well. Got a women's flyweight fight to talk about: Caitlin Chukagian versus Viviana Aruahu. Um, whoops, I think I might have messed that pronunciation up here. I'll let you take it from there. But uh, Chukagian, 8,800 on DraftKings. Vivian, 7,400 coming back. Chukagian, minus 135. Vivian, plus 115 here. This is a tough one here, John. And for me, it comes down to can Chukagian defend the takedown here? Um, what are the odds she can here? I mean, probably, I don't know. This fight doesn't do anything for me. I think you knew I was going to say that, too. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is. I mean, Caitlin Chukagian is eight and four in the UFC. Um, she fights often. She fought three times in 2018, twice in 2019. She fought four times in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has value for a company which holds an event like literally every week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is value there, and I say that all the time. And know, there's not exactly depth in this division either here. So you know, when you talk about depth options, 
which is kind of the definition. Yeah, no, there's there's no depth in the division at all, and it's a real problem. Um, Kalen is a compact boxer with no power. Um, I don't I want I don't think she has a knockout win in her career, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know all her all her UFC wins are via decision. Um, she also doesn't offer anything in terms of secondary skills. If she's not landing a bunch of volume, she's not going to win. Um, she's tall. She's about five foot nine. She comes in in good shape, and those are really her two greatest assets. Um, she's um, it's a little bit of a similar skill set to Jessica I, which is actually the I believe the one opponent these two have in common. Um, but like you said. This is whether or not Caitlin can stay on her feet because she defends the takedown at 51%, which is abysmal. And um, uh, Vivian averages 2.33 takedowns per 15 minutes. So if Caitlin's going to find her way uh, find her way to her back, she's not going to be able to get back to her feet, and she offers nothing from a submission standpoint. Um, she needs this to be a kickboxing match in order for her to win. Um, this is another fight where obviously the salaries and the odds don't match up. Um, Chukagian's fourteen hundred dollars more in salary, and she's minus one thirty-five. You know, if if you're talking your average fight at eighty-eight hundred, the the fighter's probably at least minus two hundred at a minimum, minus two hundred, minus two twenty-five, whatever. Um, I don't love this fight from a DraftKings perspective, um, but uh, that's where we're at with the cancellations, with the, the Diaz-Edwards and the uh, Edmund and Jack Hermanson fight. Um, I'm going to take Vivian. Uh, I've been the low man on Chikagian for a while. I'm kind of sticking with it. But um, there, that 51% takedown defense is enough for me to take Vivian as an underdog and hope she just lands takedowns in two out of three rounds and grinds her way to the finish. I mean, you know Chikagian's not going to knock her out because she's never knocked anybody out. So if that's what you're going, I'm willing to take that slight underdog hit and hope she can just grind out a decision. <laughs> yeah, Chikagian loves getting taken down here. Her takedown defense here is just 51%, which is uh, it's not good. Not a good mark in the UFC nope. for sure. You want to be north of 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, to, to really be considered having good takedown defense, at least. And, you know, she, she was only taken down one time by Calvillo, uh, pretty much dominated in that area by Andrade. Um, you know, really the only fighter that hasn't take her down, taken her down of late is, you know, is uh, um, Antonina Shevchenko, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Vivian could um, – she could – I could see her controlling this fight, going to the ground. Um, really, this is one that I'm probably avoiding on draft. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I don't think there's upside either way, no matter what you do. Yeah, because a lot of Chukagian's fights often aren't considered significant by the official scorers, and she's not getting you any grappling points. And she's 8,800. I could see her scoring like 65 points tops in a win, and you're not going to get your value at 8,800. So unless you need some salary relief with the uh, with the opponent here, I fade this one. At the same time, I do think that they're, that Chukagin might be on a little bit higher level here, and if she can stay on her feet, she'll outpoint her over the rounds. It won't be pretty. It'll be a 60-65 point decision, but I'm picking Chukagin outright. Now, when I make the DraftKings lineups, yeah, I might have a little more Aruajo, but uh, I, I guess we'll find out. 
Yeah, I, this is if you're looking for that. What do you say? You you look for 10x on DraftKings, right? Or, yeah, yeah, you know, about, you, about 10x. I don't think 12x you're get, for for GPPs. Maybe maybe 10x 10 for, for cash. cash. Yeah, yeah, I I don't think you're going to get that here. Yeah, definitely not going to get that. Either way, exactly. All right, let's talk about another fight. Uh, this is fight that I think uh, we're going to want to get some of on DraftKings here. I know the odds to finish are plus 130, but uh, you know. I always add in the odds to finish to the article afterwards that, you know, that John writes up for the site. And there weren't a lot of real favorable numbers here in this one here. So 130 is actually on the nicer end here. We got Shane Burgos, Hurricane Shane taking on Edson Barbosa. Burgos is a slight favorite, a minus 130. Barbosa plus 110. Again, that would normally make for like a you know, an 8,200, 8,000 or 8,100 all scenario. But in this case, Burgos is 8,400. Barboza is seventy eight hundred. Um, I guess uh, who do you got here, and 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 how does he get it done? This is good. This this is a good one. I'm looking for. You know, I'm not particularly excited about the last one. Looking forward to this one. This mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, Barboza Edson Barboza is still firmly in must win mode. I know he snapped a three fight losing streak with a pretty good unanimous decision win over Maquin Americani, who's actually pretty underrated. Um, in October. But Barbosa is still in must-win mode. Um, those three losses I mentioned right before the Americani fight, where two of them were via split decision, Dan Ige and Paul Felder. Um, the other was a knockout to Justin Gaethje. Um, Barbosa is 35 years old now. He's been in fights where he's taken a bunch of punishment. It's kind of the Cowboy Cerrone thing we talked about at the top of the show. Tony Ferguson, too, to some extent. Um, they're getting up. All these guys are getting up there in age, and it's really just fair to wonder if their bodies are just breaking down a little bit. You know, are the is the physical abuse just starting to go? Um, Edson Barboza, actually, which I didn't know until I, I did some research for this, um, signed a new UFC contract recently, and I, that surprised me a little. So he's not obviously the company thinks he still has plenty left to give. Um, fighting a guy in Shane Burgos who's good, certainly good, um, six and two in the UFC, um, guy native of the Bronx in New York, part of the Tiger Shulman team. Burgos has really, really quick hands. He's more of a volume guy than a pure power guy. But very good at getting in and out. Very good at stringing together combinations. It's a good skill set. I have two main concerns against Burgos. The first one being he's got that mentality where he's willing to eat a strike in order to land two of his own. He lands 7.31 per significant strikes a minute. He absorbs 5.81. Those are both very, very big numbers, especially the absorbed one. Mm -hmm. Um, That strategy generally does not work when you start facing better competition um when you're getting hit once against better you know twice against you know lesser competition when you start facing better competition you're getting hit more like four or five or six times um and that leads me to the second part which is as good as burgos has been and he's good he's never really been anyone that good um, he beat Americani, who uh, Barbosa just defeated. He beat Cub Swanson when Cub was kind of on the tail end of his career. And it kind of stops there. Um, he, the two best guys he's fought to date, Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett, he lost both. He was knocked out by Cater. He dropped a unanimous decision to Emmett, which is his most recent fight. Um, I'm going to go with Barbosa. I expect this to be a 15-minute kickboxing match. But the as far as physical attributes, these guys are exactly the same. The height's the same. The reach is the same. Everything's the same. 
Um, the durability edge certainly goes to Burgos. We've seen him eat a bunch of shots time and time again and not be affected by it at all, really. He's one of those guys who just gets punched in the face and just comes, keeps coming forward, gets punched again, keeps moving forward. Um, I think Edson would be well, but Barbo, uh, excuse me, Burgos is very boxing based. I think if Edson can fire off a ton of those leg kicks, we've come used to seeing, mm-hmm. and Edson's probably the best, down. probably the best kicker in the history of the company. Mm-hmm. Prime Edson Barbosa can chop a leg like I don't know, maybe Jose Aldo's up there too. I would guess you could probably say, mm-hmm. but Prime, those are the two guys who you think of when you think a guy who can yeah. hammer you with leg kicks. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll never forget in December of 2018, before all this pandemic and everything, I watched him. KO Dan Hooker with a it was a body punch but it was leg kick after leg kick after leg kick that set them up and to hear those in person was just cringe inducing like he kicks just as hard like you said as anybody in the UFC it's incredibly impressive it's ridiculous and you know I think you're also probably you're like you're you're getting a slight salary discount on Barboza 7800 so you're saving 600 bucks the other thing I would say though is I think Barbosa is going to be very high owned. There's certainly a gap in um, casual fandom between these two. Barbosa is much better, much better known, and uh, you're kind of falling a little, not to the same extent and the same level. You're kind of falling into the same trap as Ferguson that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. where Tony's going to be really high owned. I don't think Barbosa is going to be on that level, but I think he's going to have a pretty high percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to illustrate that, I'm I'm kind of looking at our our staff picks and it's uh four for Barboza, two for Burgos. So again, like you said, a really close fight. And of course, Barboza has that name recognition advantage. But for me, I mean, it comes down to strength of record here for me. And yeah, maybe I, I, I fail you that being a college basketball guy looking at all these metrics, but you know, I mentioned this on the show before, but one of the things I look at first when, you know, I'm trying to get an idea for underdogs, I should maybe zero in on are the, uh, you know, are some of the fight matrix, uh, you know, they use four different, uh, you know, advanced metrics, if you call them that, um, to kind of, uh, to gauge the percent chance of win here. And a lot of it is rating each of the fighters wins and then kind of stacking that against each other. And, you know, while Burgos is the betting favorite with an implied win percentage, just under just around 53%, Barboza takes the cake with every single other one of those. Uh, two of them are over 60%. One of them's over 70%. So again, I'm not saying that these, this math, you know, you can do all sorts of math with MMA. It's not the end all be all here of finding underdogs, but these guys look, at these numbers when somebody has these kinds of numbers it absolutely puts them on my radar here to start with and uh yeah you know some of it i think it's going to be the body kicks by barboza that's going to be a big thing and also i think barboza's just being discounted a little bit i mean dan Ige and paul felder both of those were split decisions i actually thought you know you could make a very good case that barboza actually beat ea in that yeah, fight i thought he I, th- I thought he won that fight mm-hmm. yeah so i i remember thinking that and then other than that his losses have been killers i mean gaethje khabib tony i mean all these guys spring is in the air at littleton coin company and we want to help you brighten your collection visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15 percent off your purchase with a wide selection of coins paper money supplies and more Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.
as the best the division has to offer. And Barboza's going down a division here, although it doesn't really give him a height or reach advantage here. He's going to be, have a lot more solid frame than Burgos coming into this, you know. So 35 years old, kind of just sneaking out of his prime for Barboza. You know, he's got the camp at American Top Team that is going to put him with the best game plan and the best, you know, just overall strategy and camp, you know, one of the best camps in the business here. I just, you know, if I'm doing a pros and cons chart and I'm putting tallies on both sides, more of those tallies fall on Barboza for me. So I'm going to have to agree with you, pick him out right and go with the salary relief he provides. Yeah, it's a close one. You know, this is one of those where flip a coin wouldn't be surprised either way. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Result. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole card sometimes feels like that. You know, we can. There's a lot of it. We can easily carve out paths to victory for both sides, both fighters in the last four fights we just talked about. I mean, it's going to be a wild card from, uh, you know, from from start to finish. I mean, we're close fights. You know, some of them are more exciting than others, but there's going to be a lot to go off of here. They put Matt Schnell against. Um, against uh let me see here Rogerio Bontarin uh is the other fight in the main card I actually think that's going to take the place of the Shabazian fight and go uh between the Chukagian fight and the Tony Ferguson fight that's on there we could talk about that if you wanted to but anybody else really looking up and down this card that you think there might be a play where maybe you need to take advantage of or you know people chasing that knockout uh, bonus here. Anybody else in here stand out that when you're making a DraftKings lineup, you know what do you have to what do you have to look for or, or people you should consider? Well, I'd, I'd pass on the on the Schnell and a Bontran fight. Um, I mean, this is going to sum it up for you. Both these guys have had a decent amount of fights in the UFC. You know, mm-hmm. up, up, upwards of you know at least at well over a half dozen. So you know we've seen these guys. Schnell's averaging forty nine point four DraftKings points. Bontorin's averaging forty nine point one. No thanks. Mm-hmm. That's that's yep. not going to get that's not going to get the job done. They're both ground based guys. Not a lot of volume on the feet. Um, not what you're looking for from a DraftKings perspective. Um, you slide down a little further. Um, I like there are two I like. One's an underdog. One's not. Um, I like Mike Grundy against Lando Venata. Um, Grundy's eighty two hundred, Venata's eight thousand, um, which is roughly in line with the salary, uh, the Vegas odds. Grundy's minus one fifteen, Venata's minus one hundred five. My reason for liking Grundy is that Venata's just reckless. Every time we watch him fight, the guy just balls to the wall and just doesn't worry about defending himself. And remember, he almost beat Tony. Remember, he almost beat Tony yeah. Ferguson in his yeah, debut. It was late after notice. the big Ferguson layoff, and and yep. Venata basically bum rushed him. You know, trying to get a finish, he almost did several times. Mm-hmm. He had him. He had clocked him a couple times so but that's how the guy fights straight mm-hmm. forward all the time and so the one thing on this the one play on this card i probably like more than any other is just because of how cheap it is is andrea lee at seven thousand. Mm-hmm. antonita shevchenko is 9200 i have no idea why it makes no sense to me especially when you look at the vegas odds shevchenko's minus 125 lee is plus 105 
that's fairly close to a pickup. You know, maybe three, four hundred dollars difference in salary. There's twenty two hundred dollars in salary difference between these two. Um, neither woman has been any good. Um, I believe Antonina Shevchenko, obviously the young, uh, older sister of Valentina, has alternated wins and losses in her five UFC fights. She's three and two. Um, none of them have been, you know, particularly impressive. She's not her sister. There's no doubt about that. She was a little hyped up from the beginning because of who her sister is. Um, and Andrea Lee, another woman who definitely had high hopes because she was good in Invicta and she's come to the UFC and I don't know what the hell's happened. She's been terrible. She's lost three fights in a row. Two of them were via split decision, though. She lost a split decision to Joanne Calderwood, a split decision to Lauren Murphy, and both JoJo and Murphy have actually fought well of late, Murphy in particular. So, mm-hmm. and then she dropped the unanimous decision to Roxanne Modafferi, which I can't really yeah, explain. That doesn't make that, sense at all. No, that's not that's not a good one. But mm-hmm. um, Lee's four years younger, and even if you think Shevchenko's going to win. There's no way in a million years there's a twenty two hundred dollars salary difference between mm-hmm. the two. It's yeah, I mean, not you can't pay up like that for for you know largely a decision. Well, I don't want to say a decision fighter because her last two wins have been stoppages in the second round, TKO and a, and a rear naked choke here. Um, so I, I guess Shevchenko gets the occasion, gets the occasional finish. But yeah, I'm not interested in paying that price, even when. I mean, I mean, even when you have the money for it here, because some of these favorites and you get cheap dog. There's tons of line values. What I should say, oh, you're you getting put... plus one ten fighters, you know, minus one hundred five fighters for you know four, five, six hundred dollars less than your average salary for per, per fighter here. So there's opportunities. Oh God, if you you if you use Lee at seven thousand, and on this card you can almost do whatever you want. You know, especially with you know as as far as. As far apart as some of the salaries are, you know, assuming you're not totally in line with the Vegas odds, if you use a fighter at seven thousand, the problem is, obviously, it would help you can instruct your lineup. You know, I like her to win. I think it's probably more of a cash game play. The problem is, you're probably not going to. You know, mm-hmm. Andrea Lee's not the type to generate a ton of of DraftKings salaries. It's more of a straight up. You know, I think she's better than Shevchenko relative to the number type thing. I don't think it's someone who's going to get you know the odds to finish are plus two sixty. So yeah, know, yeah. I want to look at that. I want to bring up one more kind of you know kind of math play that I was I was surfing around and I saw on here now. Um, Jamie Pickett, he's zero one in the UFC. He lost his first two contender series appearances in season one and season three before getting a second round finish in season four of the contender series. Um, but what I like about Jamie Pickett is a couple of things. Uh, one, eight of his eleven wins are by knockout, uh, nine total just by any kind of stoppage. And I kind of alluded alluded at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, with Chandler having the second highest win by knockout prop, the number one win by knockout prop at plus one ninety five is Jamie Pickett against Jordan Wright. Now you'll know in the first two minutes here whether this is going to go your way because I imagine he'll come out swinging and Wright will try to make a, a more calm and approached you know game plan. He's got Jackson Wink in his corner here. You'd think that uh, will help him out, but. I don't know. Pickett can throw hands. He can stop people. He's plus 195, which is the best win by Nako prop. I mentioned that already. And then he's got the second best behind Charles Oliveira as far as first round win prop at plus 470. Oliveira's plus 460 here. And that's that's all we got here. So looking at the numbers, you know, if you're 
If you're looking to get maybe a fighter or two in and you want guys to fill out your lineup that'll at least give you maybe a shot to win, you know, some of these big prizes, go for that gone in 60 seconds bonus with Jamie Pickett because the kicker is, guess what? He's $8,100 on DraftKings, you know? It's a pick em fight here. My, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what the other sites have for uh, for some of these metrics here. Nothing uh, too crazy. A lot of them actually like Jordan Wright the other side, but I don't know. Pickett's a finisher. You know, give me minus 110 with those with those finishing odds. At 8100 you know, I'll take it. Yeah, I for all the years we've been doing this, I can't ever remember writing up a fight where both the DK salaries were identical and both the Vegas odds were identical. Mm-hmm. At least at the time of writing, they are they were are in this fight. Mm-hmm. It's the only time I can remember that happening. Yeah, so I mean, so then you go ahead and you have to think. Okay, so who's going to score fantasy wise? You know, the fantasy scoring ceiling is a lot higher for Pickett than Wright, probably, which is why you know I'll have some Pickett and hopefully he can get it done with his hands. But I think if we get outside the first round, that play is going to be in trouble. So maybe not put all your legs in one basket. And again, we advocate multi entry here. But if you are just going for one ticket and you know want to give your lineup the highest ceiling possible, I think he's a person that suddenly becomes part of that. Um, and then, of course, I, I, any other pay-up options you like? You know, we mentioned the guy, the late-notice guy on there. Um, hasn't actually even been added to DraftKings yet. No, so I don't, it wasn't when I wrote it this morning. Yeah, um, and it's not as of, you know, I'm looking at it right now, the um, the Soriano and Giagos one. Giagos is the favorite here. Um, you know, fight. See, fight doesn't go to decision. Odds to finish are plus 150. Goes to decision, minus 190. Giagos wins inside the distance, plus 300. So that's not even necessarily what I want to see out of, uh, you know, what I assume is a pay-up option. He should be, you know, if they stick to this pattern, Giagos should be 9,400. I don't even know if I'm going to want to pay up for that. So him, you know, Mazzani, 9,300. Shevchenko, 9,200. None of that really excites me a whole lot. So you could leave salary on the table here. I would absolutely leave Sarah on the table. I can't ever remember. Say they do put Giagos in at 9,400, hypothetically. I can't remember a card where the two or three or four highest, higher price fighters on the card Mm -hmm. are as underwhelming from a DraftKings standpoint as this one. Mm -hmm. I would never, I don't think, I can't ever remember wanting to leave salary more on the table than I do on this card. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're looking at your end lineups, you don't probably don't want too many people over. 8,700 and you know a lot of if if you need to make your lineup unique and one way to do that is to leave salary on the table so I think that's what we can conclude with here is one of the overarching themes here just because of how this this is one of the more unique contest structures I've never seen it where there are so many close close fights which is going to make for some great viewing here um so yeah any final thoughts on uh, the card here before we start to wrap things up John Nah, it you know it's uh, you know I don't think it's any secret it's not as good as it was originally intended to be mm-hmm. you know that's that's no secret but you know you got three really good fights on the main card um and i'm always interested in seeing jacare because i know the results haven't mm-hmm. been good lately but i still think there's something there i'm not crazy about him yeah. at 8500 you know that seems a, a little overpriced yeah. but almost in a fabricio verdum type way he seems like someone where even as he gets into his 40s He's fully capable of sneaking through a submission, you know. Uh, at, keeps at any himself time. in such great shape. Yep. It's just, you know, it's. It, I have a hard time betting on him, even as mm-hmm. old as he is, and as much as he's seen. You know, you see guys like Glover Teixeira, who, you know, I saw Glover fight John Jones in, you know, 2012 or whatever the heck it was, and uh, you know, you thought he was done, and he looked like he'd be released five times, and you know, September or October, whatever the heck it is, he's gonna fight.
about Jan Bukovic for the title again. So, yeah. you know, I'm a little more hesitant to write off these guys who are totally, you know, appear like they're aging out unless, you know, it's a case like Cowboy where, you know, it's clear that it's over. It seems like, yeah, in the slightly heavier divisions, submission specialists always can find a way to, to just hang around here. So uh, that'll be interesting, too. I assume they're keeping that as the ESPN prelim finale here so they can put at least a name on that. You know, they'll do that Yeah, sometimes. it looked like that was the plan. All right. Well, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Again, give John a follow on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto-Jake. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but we're going to be back with you guys prior to UFC 263. That's Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori 2. We'll catch you guys next month.